Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. I'm Natalie and I'm here with two of my favorite humans. And let me tell you, the list of humans that I like gets shorter every day. Angel, Holly, <laughs> we all ready to get started today? Yeah, sure. I'm glad I'm on the short list. <laughs> I'm ready when you are. I feel so honored. <laughs> so, Polly, why don't you get us started with the cultures that this story developed in? It was collected by, uh, hold on. I have to Google how to pronounce these, and I might have to edit them in later. It was Peter Christian Asbjörnsson and Jürgen Moe. All right. Yay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we may hear more from them since they were kind of the Grimm's brothers of Norway. Yes, the story comes from Norway, pre-Christianity, so it uses tropes such as men versus trolls or giants and benevolent animals and sentient elementals. Women are respected and given autonomy and are not just commodities for trade. For example, when the father is asked for his daughter, he tells the bear, yeah, let me ask her and see what she says. Of course, then he pesters her for a week to convince her to accept, but the choice is ultimately hers. Well, in that story, they were very poor and starving, so it kind of makes sense. In the one that I read, White Bear King Valamon, the father who is a king, not a poor man, is against it from the start. But the bear has a golden wreath that the princess covets so much that leaving with him is worth it to have that wreath. The bear even defeats entire armies to seal the deal. So it's the daughter doing the pestering in that one. Yeah, and then her dad tries to send off her sisters anyway, and the bear has to come back when they're rude. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing that hit me when I was reading uh, the East of the Sun and West of the Moon was wondering if the white bear was a metaphor for a Russian prince. Um, historically, since Russia tended to have lots of invasions into Finland and parts of Scandinavia, um, we're on familiar ground. We're on familiar ground with Russia invading places. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on familiar ground with this one, though, because the girls are way too young and so lovely. There is no end to her loveliness. Oh, and hags. We have four hags this time. Three of the helpful variety and one who is evil. I completely agree with the hags in the story being a good thing, but they just called them old women and the bad guys were troll hags. I mean, this story is just giving hags a bad name. It's very upsetting to me. Well, the three old women seem to be mistresses of their own fates, living in their own castles and minding their own business. Even the mother is mostly concerned that her daughter may be sleeping with a troll and is content with her daughter's choices. If only she checks to make sure that's not the case. Well, I mean, if the daughter's happy with the troll, she should be able to be with the troll. Consent <laughs> is what matters. But that story is the one that seems kind of rapey because he asks for her and she isn't even sure at first. 
Yeah, I get that. There is all that lying beside her each night and her having no idea of who he was. It's a little rapey, but the version I read here doesn't say they have sex. Norse people were very into bed sharing. Just the whole house, all in the bed, under the furs. Makes sense when you consider the temperatures in the winter. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I would definitely be a snuggle bug in those temperatures. <laughs> the white bear king has it going on for three years and there are three children to prove it if she hadn't begged to be there for the wreath it would be rapey but i guess it's just more prostitutey but to each their own i could never have waited three years and three kids to peak though maybe he wasn't very good or he was good enough that she didn't want to mess up a good thing <laughs> Okay, sorry. It took me a second to remember that you read a different version of this story than I did. I kept looking at my notes and going, wait, what children? How did I miss three children? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get back to the culture of the story, Polly. Well, you can very much see the Norse influence in this story because the pivotal detail is personal hygiene. Dirty clothes ruin the match between the man bear and the girl. Then cleaning the clothes becomes the ultimate test of whether the man will marry the troll princess. In the end, he weds the only person who can actually get his clothes clean. Personal hygiene was one of the most important aspects of Norse culture. Women didn't like men who smelled or were ungroomed. It definitely felt significant that the trolls made everything worse when they touched it while they were trying to clean it, which would make sense if they were giants than if they were Norse trolls. I mean, Norse trolls tended to be more dwarf-sized tricksters than our modern Tolkienized image of trolls. However, giants were called the devourers and were chaotic spirits of night, darkness, and death. Even the title of this story hints that it would be giants and not trolls. When you think of the wolves, Skull and Hattie from Norse mythology who hunt the sun and the moon. I guess there was something lost in translation. Yeah, probably. There's probably a lot in this story that was lost in translation. So let's go over how it's changed in the different versions. Well, the version we have today sets trolls as the villains and Christians as the good guys. But earlier versions just say men instead of Christians and the trolls may be giants instead of trolls. The version I read as a child had a prince of men imprisoned by a giantess as a husband for her ugly daughter. When he refuses to wed her, she enchants him to be a bear, which enchantment he can break by convincing a human girl to be his prisoner in turn. If he can convince her to stay for a year, the giantess will free him. Basically, when he rejected her daughter because he found her unappealing, the giantess made him what she thought was ugly or unappealing, a horrible bear. And if a woman would stay with him in spite of that, then he could go free but he couldn't tell her about the enchantment or the bet was off. What she didn't count on was the bravery of human women. That and the tendency of human women to look at a fearsome animal and go, hee-hoo, pupper! (laughs) Oh, I bet his ears were so cute! (laughs) I love the ears. Who wouldn't want to hang out with a talking bear? All the people in I Just Know I'll Die Trying to Pet Something I Shouldn't group on Facebook will totally agree with us. The version that I read had artisans that were locked up, not Christians. And at the end, they built a trap door for the evil queen and her daughter to fall through on the way to the wedding. It was so funny. Can we say vindication? (laughs) That sounds like a great version of the story. I like it when cleverness wins the day. (laughs) 
There must be some significance that things both in the White Bear King Valamon and East of the Sun, West of the Moon happen on Thursday specifically. Well, it is a Norse tale, and Thursday is the day named after Thor, who tended to fight giants. Um, also, in most superstitions, Thursday is the day for making decisions about money matters or traveling. It is also considered the lucky day for making difficult decisions, and she does make a difficult decision. So, Yeah, we still today make decisions about money on Thursday because, you know, we get paid on Friday. Um, I did want to address the troll description as rich women with big noses because when I read it, it seemed kind of anti-Semitic. So I looked it up. It is just trolls. But today's readers and listeners might need a heads up before the story reading part. I would not think that anti-Semitism would have a place in Norse mythology because Jews and Norsemen had so many similar interests and values, re-wealth management and cleanliness and personal rights, specifically women's rights. And that makes sense and is confirmed by my research. This is just a public service announcement prior to the reading to preempt the assumptions that today's social climate might suggest. So let's move on to the reading of the story to let everyone get caught up, and then we can discuss some of the details of it and our thoughts. So what do you say? Do you think we can stay? Let the whole world go. I'm into you. I think you're into me too. Something in my heart says so. East of the sun and west of the moon. Once upon a time, there was a poor husbandman who had many children and little to give them in the way either of food or of clothing. They were all pretty, but the prettiest of all was the youngest daughter, who was so beautiful that there were no bounds to her beauty. So once, it was late on a Thursday evening in autumn, and wild weather outside, terribly dark and raining so heavily and blowing so hard that the walls of the cottage shook again. They were all sitting together by the fireside, each of them busy with something or other when suddenly someone rapped three times against the window-pane. The man went out to see what could be the matter, and when he got out, there stood a great big white bear. "'Good evening to you,' said the white bear. "'Good evening,' said the man. "'Will you give me your youngest daughter?' said the white bear. "'If you will, you shall be as rich as you are now poor.' Truly the man would have had no objection to being rich, but he thought to himself, "'I must first ask my daughter about this.' So he went in and told them that there was a great white bear outside who had faithfully promised to make them all rich if he might but have the youngest daughter. She said no, and would not hear of it. So the man went out again and settled with the white bear that he should come again next Thursday evening and get her answer. Then the man persuaded her and talked so much to her about the wealth that they would have and what a good thing it would be for herself that at last she made up her mind to go and washed and mended all her rags, made herself as smart as she could, and held herself in readiness to set out. Little enough had she to take away with her. Next Thursday evening, the white bear came to fetch her. She seated herself on his back with her bundle, and thus they departed. When they had gone a great part of the way, the white bear said, Are you afraid? No, that I am not, said she. Keep tight hold of my fur, and then there is no danger, said he. And thus she rode far, far away, until they came to a great mountain. Then the white bear knocked on it, and a door opened, and they went into a castle where there were many brilliantly lighted rooms, 
which shone with gold and silver, likewise a large hall in which there was a well-spread table, and it was so magnificent that it would be hard to make anyone understand how splendid it was. The white bear gave her a silver bell, and told her that when she needed anything she had but to ring this bell, and what she wanted would appear. So after she had eaten, and the night was drawing near, she grew sleepy after her journey and thought that she would like to go to bed. She rang the bell, and scarcely had she touched it before she found herself in a chamber, where a bed stood ready-made for her, which was as pretty as any one could wish to sleep in. It had pillows of silk, and curtains of silk fringed with gold, and everything that was in the room was of gold or silver. But when she had lain down and put out the light, a man came and lay down beside her, and behold it was the white bear, who cast off the form of a beast during the night. She never saw him, however, for he always came after she had put out her light, and went away before daylight appeared. So all went well and happily for a time, and then she began to be very sad and sorrowful, for all day long she had to go about alone, and she did so wish to go home to her mother and father and brothers and sisters. Then the white bear asked what it was that she wanted, and she told him that it was so dull here in the mountain, and that she had to go about all alone, and that in her parents' house at home there were all her brothers and sisters, and it was because she could not go to them that she was so sorrowful. There might be a cure for that, said the white bear, if you would but promise me never to talk with your mother alone, but only when the others are there too, for she will take hold of your hand, he said, and will want to lead you into a room to talk with you alone, but that you must by no means do, or you will bring great misery on both of us. So one Sunday, the white bear came and said that they could now set out to see her father and mother, and they journeyed thither, she sitting on his back, and they went a long, long way, and it took a long, long time, but at last they came to a large white farmhouse, and her brothers and sisters were running about outside it, playing, and it was so pretty that it was a pleasure to look at it. Your parents dwell here now, said the white bear, but do not forget what I said to you, or you will do much bo much harm both to yourself and me. No, indeed, said she, I shall never forget. And as soon as she was at home, the white bear turned around and went back again. There were such rejoicings when she went into her parents that it seemed as if they would never come to an end. Everyone thought that he could never be sufficiently grateful to her for all she had done for them all. Now they had everything that they wanted, and everything was as good as it could be. They all asked her how she was getting on where she was. All was well with her, too, she said, and she had everything that she could want. What other answers she gave I cannot say, but I am pretty sure that they did not learn much from her. But in the afternoon, after they had dined at midday, all happened just as the white bear had said. Her mother wanted to talk with her alone in her own chamber, but she remembered what the white bear had said, and would on no account go. "'What we have to say can be said at any time,' she answered. But somehow or other her mother at last persuaded her, and she was forced to tell the whole story. So she told how every night a man came and lay down beside her when the lights were all put out, and how she never saw him, because he always went away before it grew light in the morning, and how she continually went about in sadness, thinking how happy she would be if she could but see him, and how all day long she had to go about alone, and it was so dull and solitary. "'Oh!' cried the mother in horror. "'You are very likely sleeping with a troll, but I will teach you a way to see him. You shall have a bit of one of my candles, which you can take away with you hidden in your breast.' Look at him with that when he is asleep, but take care not to let any tallow drop upon him. So she took the candle and hid it in her breast, and when evening drew near, the white bear came to fetch her away. 
When they had gone some distance on their way, the white bear asked her if everything had not happened just as he had foretold, and she could not but own that it had. "'Then if you have done what your mother wished,' said he, "'you have brought great misery on both of us.' "'No,' she said, "'I have not done anything at all.' So when she had reached home and had gone to bed, it was just the same as it had been before. And a man came and lay down beside her, and late at night, when she could hear that he was sleeping, she got up and kindled a light, lit her candle, let her light shine on him, and saw him. And he was the handsomest prince that eyes had ever beheld, and she loved him so much that it seemed to her that she must die if she did not kiss him at that very moment. So she did kiss him, but while she was doing it, she let three drops of hot tallow fall upon his shirt, and he awoke. "'What have you done now?' said he. "'You have brought misery on both of us. If you had but held out for the space of one year, I should have been free.' I have a stepmother who has bewitched me so that I am a white bear by day and a man by night, but now all is at an end between you and me, and I must leave you and go to her. She lives in a castle which lies east of the sun and west of the moon, and there, too, is a princess with a nose which is three ells long, and she now is the one whom I must marry. She wept and lamented, but all in vain, for go he must. Then she asked him if she could not go with him, but no, that could not be. Can you tell me the way, then? and I will seek you, that I may surely be allowed to do. Yes, you may do that, said he, but there is no way thither. It lies east of the sun and west of the moon, and never would you find your way there. When she awoke in the morning, both the prince and the castle were gone, and she was lying on a small green patch in the midst of a dark, thick wood. By her side lay the selfsame bundle of rags, which she had brought with her from her very own home. So when she had rubbed the sleep out of her eyes and wept till she was weary, she set out on her way, and thus she walked for many and many a long day, until at last she came to a great mountain. Outside it, an aged woman was sitting, playing with a golden apple. The girl asked her if she knew the way to the prince, who lived with his stepmother in the castle, which lay east of the sun and west of the moon, and who was to marry a princess with a nose which was three ells long. "'How do you happen to know about him?' inquired the old woman. "'Maybe you are she who ought to have had him.' "'Yes, indeed I am,' she said. "'So it is you, then,' said the old woman. "'I know nothing about him, but that he dwells in a castle which is east of the sun and west of the moon. You will be a long time in getting to it, if ever you get to it at all. But you shall have the loan of my horse, and then you can ride on it to an old woman who is a neighbor of mine. Perhaps she can tell you about him.' When you have got there, you must just strike the horse beneath the left ear and, and bid it go home again, but you may take the golden apple with you. So the girl seated herself on the horse and rode for a long, long way. And at last she came to the mountain where an aged woman was sitting outside with a gold carding comb. The girl asked her if she knew the way to the castle which lay east of the sun and west of the moon, but she said what the first old woman had said, I know nothing about it but that it is east of the sun and west of the moon, and that you will be a long time in getting to it, if ever you get there at all. But you shall have the loan of my horse, to an old woman who lives the nearest to me. Perhaps she may know where the castle is, and when you have got to her, you may just strike the horse beneath the left ear and bid it go home again. Then she gave her the gold carding comb, for it might perhaps be of use to her, she said. So the girl seated herself on the horse and rode a wearisome long way onward again, and after a very long time she came to a great mountain, where an aged woman was sitting, spinning at a golden spinning wheel. Of this woman, too, she inquired if she knew the way to the prince, and where to find the castle which lay east of the sun and west of the moon. 
but it was only the same thing once again. Maybe it was you who should have had the prince, said the old woman. Yes, indeed, I should have been the one, said the girl. But this old crone knew the way no better than the others. It was east of the sun and west of the moon, she knew that. And you will be a long time in getting to it, if ever you get to it at all, she said. But you may have the loan of my horse, and I think you had better ride to the east wind and ask him. Perhaps he may know where the castle is and will blow you thither. But when you have got to him, you must just strike the horse beneath the left ear, and he will come home again. And then she gave her the golden spinning wheel, saying, Perhaps you may find that you have a use for it. The girl had to ride for a many great days, and for a long and wearisome time, before she got there. But at last she did arrive, and then she asked the east wind if he could tell her the way to the prince who dwelt east of the sun and west of the moon. Well, said the east wind, I have heard tell of the prince and of his castle, but I do not know the way to it, for I have never blown so far, but if you like, I will go with you to my brother the west wind. He may know that, for he is much stronger than I am. You may sit on my back, and then I can carry you there. So she seated herself on his back, and they did go swiftly. When they got there, the east wind went in and said that the girl whom he had brought was the one who ought to have had the prince up at the castle, which lay east of the sun and west of the moon, and that now she was travelling about to find him again, so he had come there with her, and would like to hear if the west wind knew whereabouts the castle was. No, said the west wind, so far as that have I never blown, but if you like I will go with you to the south wind, for he is much stronger than either of us, and he has roamed far and wide and perhaps he can tell you what you want to know. You may seat yourself on my back, and I will carry you to him. So she did this, and journeyed to the south wind. Neither was she very long on the way. When they had got there, the west wind asked him if he could tell her the way to the castle that lay east of the sun and west of the moon, for she was the girl who ought to marry the prince who lived there. Oh, indeed, said the south wind. Is that she? Well, said he, I have wandered about a great deal in my time, and in all kinds of places, but I have never blown so far as that. If you like, however, I will go with you to my brother the North Wind. He is the oldest and strongest of all us, and if he does not know where it is, no one in the whole world will be able to tell you. You may sit upon my back, and then I will carry you there. So she seated herself on his back, and off he went from his house in great haste, and they were not long on the way. When they came near the North Wind's dwelling, he was so wild and frantic that they felt cold gusts a long while before they got there. What do you want? he roared out from afar, and they froze as they heard. Said the South Wind, It is I, and this is she who should have had the prince, who lives in the castle that lies east of the sun and west of the moon. And now she wishes to ask you if you have ever been there, and can tell her the way, for she would gladly find him again. Yes, said the North Wind, I know where it is. I once blew an aspen leaf there, but I was so tired that for many days afterwards I was not able to blow at all. However, if you are really anxious to go there, and you are not afraid to go with me, I will take you on my back and try if I can to blow you there. Get there I must, said she, and if there is any way of going, I will, and I have no fear, no matter how fast you go. Very well, then, said the North Wind. 
But you must sleep here tonight, for if we are ever to get there, we must have the day before us. The North Wind woke her betimes next morning, and puffed himself up, and made himself so big and so strong that it was frightful to see him, and away they went, high up through the air, as if they would not stop until they had reached the very end of the world. Down below there was such a storm. It blew down woods and houses, and when they were above the sea the ships were wrecked by hundreds, and thus they tore on and on, and a long time went by, and then yet more time passed, and still they were above the sea, and the north wind grew tired and more tired, and at last so utterly weary that he was scarcely able to blow any longer, and he sank and sank lower and lower, until at last he went so low that the waves dashed against the heels of the poor girl he was carrying. Art thou afraid? said the north wind. I have no fear, said she, and it was true. But they were not very, very far from land, and there was just enough strength left in the north wind to enable him to throw her onto the shore, immediately under the windows of a castle which lay east of the sun and west of the moon. But then he was so weary and worn out that he was forced to rest for several days before he could go to his own home again. Next morning she sat down beneath the walls of the castle to play with the golden apple, and the first person she saw was the maiden with the long nose, who was to have the prince. "'How much do you want for that gold apple of yours, girl?' said she, opening the window. "'It can't be bought for either gold or money,' answered the girl. "'If it cannot be bought either for gold or money, what will buy it? You may say what you please.' said the princess. Well, if I may go to the prince who is here and be with him tonight, you shall have it, said the girl who had come with the north wind. You may do that, said the princess, for she had made up her mind what she would do. So the princess got the golden apple, but when the girl went up to the prince's apartment that night, he was asleep, for the princess had so contrived it. The poor girl called to him and shook him, and between whiles she wept, but she could not wake him. In the morning, as soon as day dawned, and in came the princess with the long nose and drove her out again. In the daytime she sat down once more beneath the windows of the castle, and began to card with her golden carding comb. And then all happened as it had, as it had happened before. The princess asked her what she wanted for it, and she replied that it was not for sale, either for gold or money, and that if she could get leave to go to the prince and be with him during the night, she should have it. Yes, said the princess. I will gladly consent to that. But in that place there were some Christian folk who had been carried off, and they had been sitting in the chamber which was next to that of the prince, and had heard how a woman had been in there who had wept and called on him two nights running, and they told the prince of this. So that evening, when the princess came once more with her sleeping drink, he pretended to drink, but threw it away behind him, for he suspected that it was a sleeping drink. So when the girl went into the prince's room this time, he was awake, and she had to tell him how she had come there. "'You have come just in time,' said the prince, "'for I should have been married to-morrow, "'but I will not have the long-nosed princess, "'and you alone can save me. "'I will say that I want to see what my bride can do, "'and bid her wash the shirt which has the three drops of tallow on it. "'This she will consent to do, "'for she does not know that it is you who let them fall on it, "'but no one can wash them out but one born of Christian folk. "'It cannot be done by one of a pack of trolls,' And then I will say that no one shall ever be my bride, but the woman who can do this, and I know that you can. There was great joy and gladness between them all that night, but the next day, when the wedding was to take place, the prince said, I must see what my bride can do. 
that you may do, said the stepmother. I have a fine shirt, which I want to wear as my wedding shirt, but three drops of tallow have got upon it, which I want to have washed off, and I have vowed to marry no one but the woman who is able to do it. If she cannot do that, she is not worth having. Well, that was a very small matter, they thought, and agreed to do it. The princess, with the long nose, began to wash as well as she could, but the more she washed and rubbed, the larger the spots grew. Ah, you can't wash it at all, said the old troll hag, who was her mother. Give it to me. But she had not had the shirt very long in her hands before it looked worse still, and the more she washed it and rubbed it, the larger and blacker grew the spots. So the other trolls had to come and wash, but the more they did, the blacker and uglier grew the shirt, until at length it was as black as if it had been up the chimney. Ugh! cried the prince. Not one of you is good for anything at all. There is a beggar girl sitting outside the window, and I'll be bound that she can wash better than any of you. Come in, you girl there, he cried. So she came in. Can you wash this shirt clean, he cried. Oh, I don't know, she said, but I will try. And no sooner had she taken the shirt and dipped it in the water than it was white as the driven snow, and even whiter than that. I will marry you, said the prince. Then the old troll hag flew into such a rage that she burst, and the princess with the long nose, and all the little trolls must have burst too, for they have never been heard of since. The prince and his bride set free all the Christian folk who were imprisoned there, and took away with them all the gold and silver that they could carry, and moved far away from the castle, which lay east of the sun and west of the moon. Dance across the water, saying, hey, look at me. Virginia brought the moonlight, let it shine through the trees. It's all I see, her next to me. And the little moonlight dance she did as if she'd done it every night. Right there with me. Oh, Virginia in the light of the moon. Oh, Virginia in the light of the moon. Oh, Virginia in the light of the moon. We are back, and now we can dig in to the individual story bits and our favorite parts. Obviously, my favorite version was the White Bear King version. The princess makes her own decisions, and the magical items are the perfect items for a and d party to pack. Scissors that create clothes, a tablecloth that creates food, and a bottle to pour anything you desire. <laughs> what party could want more? <laughs> I wouldn't mind having those things right now. <laughs> right? What's for dinner? Oh, set the table and find out. <laughs> So, what are y'all's favorite parts or versions? There's a very short version of the story where a man is taken by a troll to be her husband, but she's ugly and has a big nose and is just called Big Nose Troll. He refuses, but says he'll wed her if she can wash his clothes. Obviously, she can't, because apparently when a troll washes something, it just gets dirtier. So, he chooses a random girl from a village and gets her to wash his clothes, which, of course, she can, being a human. So, he weds her instead. The big nose troll is so mad that she takes her hair in two hands and rips her own head in half and dies. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't say that I was ever so upset about losing a man that I'd pull my own head apart. However, frustration over not being able to get something clean, that is something I can identify with. <laughs> I I still like the artisans who were held captive and built that trap door. <laughs> the evil mother and her daughters just go, ah! <laughs> I laughed out loud. 
<laughs> I did like the fact that each of the hags not only gave her a golden gift to take along that she might find useful, but that they also loaned her a horse to ride, which was doubly helpful by the time the gifts were as large as a spinning wheel. Can you imagine <laughs> trying to walk all over Scandinavia carrying a spinning wheel on your back? <laughs> a golden spinning wheel at that. Even horses who know where they're going are going to need a wagon for that much weight. <laughs> I wonder they were only gold-plated items. They wouldn't be as heavy. And I assume the spinning wheel was a spindle, not a treadle wheel. Those are very portable. I've carried one in my pocket. Huh. Well, I also found myself trying to figure out exactly where this imaginary land might be located. And I started wondering if it wasn't the Americas. We know that Vikings were the first to have found the Americas, well, other than the people who were actually living there, and that things didn't go all that well for them. Um, some native tribes have very angular features wonder if that is where the big nose could have come from or to go the other direction perhaps the big nose giants were russian it just seemed as if the wind traveled so much further than just hopping over to russia have you been to siberia <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the clue to location the destruction wrought upon the earth at the passing of the north wind to the castle is epic siberia where even the north wind gets tired <laughs> So what do y'all think the original lessons of this story were for the people telling the story? I mean, you know me. Hags are the real heroes in all of this. Always. <laughs> well, I think it was learn to make better bargains. It annoyed me the way she kept trading the golden items for just one night with the man. The long nose had said the girl could name her price. She shouldn't have traded away what the troll wanted for so little. Well, she didn't care about those items. They weren't even hers. She wanted him. Then ask for him. <laughs> well, the troll wasn't going to give him up that easy. She had to use trickery and cleverness. You know, get her foot in the door. <laughs> well, yeah, but at least barter a bit. Ask for the sun and then haggle down to something better than just one night with a dude who isn't even awake. <laughs> Are we forgetting how good he was? She didn't know he would be asleep. Well, the second night she would have, come on. At least make sure she could have some fun. Oh, you guys are killing me. I agree about the haggling. In the White Bear King, it was so much worse. Those items could have solved world hunger and war, and she just hands it off. At that point, trading gold stuff was easy to accept. Well, but world hunger as a concept is fairly modern, so it wouldn't have been a consideration for them. And war was something they considered noble, so they don't want to end that. <laughs> oh, heavens no, don't end war. And they could have just ended kingdom hunger. Yeah, so <laughs> if the versions were mixed up with the items, like you swap the items, the poor girl would never have given up those magic items. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, in your version, the bear fought three wars to get the girl and then going all Cinderella Prince and kept riding off with the wrong sister and having to turn back around. <laughs> I think he just gave them chances regardless of looks, which is actually kind of against the main storyline, but maybe he learned his lesson. But then they were rude about his fluffy butt. <laughs> In my version, to end hunger for her family, all she has to do is get him back and then they have everything they need. True. <laughs> 
Yeah, I did wonder, though, if her mother even had a moment of, oh, crap, what did I do when they woke up poor and hungry again? (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. So let's move on to what the modern audiences might be able to learn from this story. Mother doesn't always know best. If the advice from an elder leads you to doing something sneaky and underhanded, maybe at least stop to think if that is really your best course of action. Well, as always, I will say that depends completely on the elder. (laughs) Well, the man-bear was already being sneaky and underhanded. True, but... She had a good thing going. Uh, see good in bed from up above. <laughs> and when you got a good thing, don't rock the boat. Well, mom was right to be concerned, but he had to get through the enchantment and couldn't tell her why. Blame the stepmom. I'm sure he didn't want to be an abuser. Yeah, he was kind of trapped into this situation. But maybe also talk to your kind, generous, but mysterious partner. And in a magic world, if they can't tell you something, just lean into the curse thing i still don't think i can make it three years though yes there's your lesson frickin stop and talk to your partner before making life-changing decisions or actions talk to your partner before dripping hot wax on them because consent matters (laughs) (laughs) the next time he took the shirt off before the hot wax (laughs) (laughs) because of course clean clothes would be much more important than you know scalded skin Scalded skin. Yeah, that's what we're worried about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. To close out, I will ask what you think happened after the story. Hopefully that poor exhausted Northwind recovered enough to bring them back home. (laughs) Yeah, since the prince lost his cool bear travel form, I think. Hopefully the poor destroyed lands recovered from their passing. <laughs> Wait, bring the mood down, Polly. <laughs> I think they got into hot wax play and much consent was given. <laughs> Here's your happily ever after. And I want that happily ever after. <laughs> oh, that's a perfect happily ever after. <laughs> we 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 really need to petition to replace and they lived happily ever after with, and much consent was given. So to sign off, much consent was given. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Yes, between the three of us, there would be much consent. (laughs) We already have so many. Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more. All at the end of the road